Hello, dear friends. This is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable. Once again, it is time for Let's Talk About Jesus right here on your hometown radio station, WMAF, right there in Madison, North Florida, South Georgia. We're so glad if you're listening from Valdosta today. We're so glad if you're listening from Madison. And we are especially glad if you are listening uh, through our website that you've come and downloaded this edition of Let's Talk About Jesus. Or if you're listening anywhere in America, anywhere in the world, on the World Wide Web. Oh, we're so happy to be with you today and to bring you good news in a bad news world. Uh, The Lord Jesus is surely coming very, very soon, but he's coming for a people that are prepared for his coming. You know, the Lord has prepared for us a place, and he's preparing us for that place. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is a prepared place for a prepared people, and we're looking forward to living together with Christ forever and our loved ones that have preceded us to heaven, age without end. Until that time, we are to live faithfully here to the Lord. Amen. So we're going to be talking about an upstream Christian in a downstream world, being an upstream Christian in a downstream world. I think the title uh, tells uh, what we need to know about what's coming in this broadcast. If you dare to follow Christ, today and the teachings of the Bible, uh, you will be counterculture. There is no doubt about it. So we want to encourage you to continue on that path. We had a prayer request. I meet with with uh, three fellow ministers from different denominations uh, every Tuesday, have been meeting for seven years now uh, to Pray for one another and pray for America and pray uh, at the end of our uh, time together uh, for uh for a mighty move of God before Jesus comes, a move of God that will transcend denominational differences and structures and allow us to come together around the cross of Jesus Christ. But one thing is for sure, we are upstream Christians in a downstream world. And the challenge today is to follow Jesus against the wind, against the grain. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. That word press in the Greek means to strain forward. And you can picture, get a mental picture of someone in a, in a strong wind, a contrary wind that is bent over and pushing themselves forward against that wind. It takes that kind of commitment to follow Christ in this generation. Amen. So we're going to be talking about an upstream Christian in a downstream world. Literally, we're talking about living under Christ's lordship in a contrary culture, a people literally under rule on a planet of rebellion, a people under rule on a planet in rebellion must be upstream Christians in a downstream world. The challenge for the church in the 21st century is to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ in the face of opposition, 
temptation, and persecution. We must not give in to the temptation to just go with the flow. Listen to what Psalm 2 says, where we're taking our, our text from these verses of Scripture today, uh, uh, the context for it. Listen to it. Why do the heathen rage? Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, and be instructed all ye judges of the earth. You see, Jesus is God's only begotten Son, and it is His rule and His Lordship that is being directly and distinctly opposed. This is what God is saying to all of the opposition that seems to be so overwhelming today from every corner and every circle. I've set my king upon my holy hill, and he will rule, and he will reign in spite of all of the opposition. A day is coming when he will rule with a rod of iron, as it's written here. A day is coming when Christ is coming And he's not coming to be hanged on a cross. And he's not coming to be beaten with with the cat of nine tails until he's almost dead. He's not coming to hold his peace like he did in Pilate's hall. He's coming to rule and to reign. And right now, we are bowing, hallelujah, willingly to his rule. We desire and we uh, want to acquire His reign in our life as our Lord and Savior. You see, this thing is very important that we get it right today. Most people think of Savior and Lord. I'll just get my free ticket to heaven. My Savior has saved me, and I will determine along the way to what degree I will allow Him to be the Lord of my life. In Scripture, Jesus is not... referred to as Savior and Lord, but rather Lord and Savior. And I have a, a challenge to, uh, to myself and to everyone listening today. Uh, it's the fact that Jesus is Lord is indisputable. He will rule and reign. He is coming, and he will rule with a rod of iron, and no one can defeat him. <laughs> and the Bible literally said that, that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he comes, every knee will bow. When he sets up his kingdom upon the earth, 
every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The question isn't, is he Lord? The question is, is he your Lord right now? Is he my Lord right now? Is he my Savior? And and we're quibbling over to what degree I will allow him to have rule in my life or the very fact that he is living within me, that his kingdom has come within me. His rule and reign is now uh, in my life, and I'm living under that rule and that reign. I'd always find it difficult with because of my weak flesh to obey his rule and reign. Sometimes I struggle with that, and I ask for the grace and strength to overcome my own weaknesses. But I do not dispute his rule or reign. I desire his rule and reign, his lordship in my life. Praise God. So Jesus is Lord and and the king that God has set up, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he will rule and he will reign in spite of all of the opposition to his rule and to his reign. So that's why verse 11 says, or verse 10, Be wise, therefore, O ye kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish away when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. It's saying literally, do not reject his lordship. Receive it. Confess our sins and bow to him. Amen. Kiss the son. He doesn't want to come as our judge, but to come as our sovereign and our savior. Praise God. Let's go back to our, our theme again in this this upstream Christian in a downstream world. We need to realize that we do live in a planet in rebellion. We do live in a planet in rebellion. Listen to Psalm 2 once again, the first three verses. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. I'm going to read this from a paraphrase. It says this, another, uh, another uh, rendition of this scripture, if you please. Why do the nations assemble with commotion, uproar, confusion of voices? And why do the people imagine, meditate upon, and devise an empty scheme? The kings of the earth take their places. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. They say, let us break their bands of restraint asunder and cast their cords of control from us. Oh, friend of mine, how clear is this? Actually, not a paraphrase. It's a it's another translation bringing out the Hebrew in a in a in an amplification. That's why they call it the Amplified Bible. 
friend of mine today, it is very clear. You know, we're seeing this uh, manifested uh, in, in our generation when someone rams a truck uh, this past week or so uh, into a statue of the Ten Commandments. You can see this attitude of we will cast off his rule. We, we will cast off God's rule, Christ's rule. We do not want that. Let us break their bands of restraint asunder. You see, the Ten Commandments tells you not to kill. That's restraint. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's restraint. Thou shalt not steal. He's telling us how to live our life and please our creator and our savior oh friend of mine what a day we live in when just a few years ago they they had to take a a, a donated uh, granite uh, uh, replica of the ten commandments out of a courthouse in one of our states and once they said it had to go they covered it with a canvas until they could schedule how to get this big, heavy edifice out of the courtroom. And you're taking, again, saying, we cast off his rule. They said it even in the, in the Jewish culture of Christ's day, uh, when he came, uh, to, to, to begin to rule as far as his kingdom in the hearts of men. And they said, we will not have this man rule over us. Let us cast off his restraints. Let us cast them off. Amen. And yet, Pilate said that a sign must be placed upon the cross that Jesus is king of kings. He is the ruler. (laughs) Amen. He is king of the Jews. Isn't it amazing how the rejection and the intense hatred has come against Christ and his rule? Friend of mine, we live in a planet of rebellion. We live in a world today that is dead set against Christ's rule over the earth. Among them, uh, 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 people like that uh, is Timothy McVeigh's last words. Before he was executed, you remember the man who, who, who caused, the, who bombed the government building and killed men, women, and children. And this is what he said. He quoted from William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus. He said, my head is bloodied, but it is not bowed. That was the last words of a man going into eternity going to face his creator, going to face the God of the universe. And he said, My head is bloodied, but it is not bowed. Invictus is a revealing look into the darkened heart of a fallen race. Listen to to what this poem says that he evidently had read and quoted from as his last words upon this earth. I'm going to read that to you. Listen to the rebellion in the heart of a sin-darkened soul. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. 
In the fell clutch of circumstance I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance my head is bloodied, but not, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What a terrible and terrifying way to enter eternity, full of pride and rebellion. We live in a world where kingdoms are in conflict. There's no middle ground. The non-Christian worldview stands in sharp contrast to a Christian or biblical worldview. Listen to what someone said uh, in, about this worldview uh, that de- defines you and determines today whether you are, are following uh, Jesus Christ or you're following uh, the world and its morals and its mores. Someone said, and I quote, it is the glasses through which a person sees everything. That's what a worldview is. Some call worldview a grid through which every thought and belief and idea and philosophy in a person's life fits. Someone else says it is a set of fundamental assumptions about the most important issues in life. Quoting another source, someone said, What in the world is world view? What in the world is world view? friend of mine, and then it goes on to talk about this very same thing. It is the lens through which we see life and all of the philosophies of how we should live our life. And if you have a biblical worldview, you will find yourself in contrast. You will find yourself in a sharp contrast to the worldview that is all around you. And in our culture, globally, and, and, and especially right here in America, where we have people of influence who, who are dead set against Christ and His kingdom and God and His Savior. Friend of mine, I want you to know today, this is, this is a spiritual thing. Its underpinnings are in a spiritual conflict of kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Ah, friend of mine, amen. There's no contest between Christ and Satan. Jesus has defeated him once and for all at the cross. The question is, are we defeating him in terms of standing true to the faith? The Bible said in Jude, we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Earnestly contend means we have to put up a real fight for it. And I'm not just talking about demonstrating against things in the culture that we know are so wrong and unjust. I'm talking about simply living out our faith. That's what it means when it says work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling, not work for our salvation, but let the salvation that has come as a gift as we repent of our sin and receive Christ as our Savior live out under the Lordship of Jesus, a follower of Jesus lives out, literally fleshes out our faith in a culture that is so contradictory to everything that he taught us and everything that he modeled to us. Oh, friend of mine, today the challenge to the church and to the Christian in general is to live and behave what we say that we believe. There's an increasing number of professing Christians and Christian organizations who cast off Christ's lordship and blatantly follow the world in deception and rebellion. That's why one pastor laments. And he said, according to pollster George Barna, only about 4% of Americans have what we, we might call a biblical world view. That means that even out of the millions that attend a Christian church on Sundays, only a small portion see things through a biblical grid and evaluate the issues of life in light of God's Word. That ought to be astonishing to all of us. That's why a church group of young ladies in Atlanta gathered for a tea, could find nothing wrong with with uh, with sinful practices uh, that uh, that 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 God's word absolutely condemns and it is why whole church denominations uh, uh have left the bible and and its authority uh and Christ ruled through the authority of God's word and his words and follow the trends of the world even though those trends are called sins in the word of God How can we even discuss whether or not we are going to obey the Word of God or we're going to follow the trends of the culture in order to be politically correct and socially acceptable? This is a day of compromise. This is a day of pressure to compromise. And this is a day of God's call to His people. Come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. I'm quoting the scriptures now in the New Testament. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. For what fellowship hath light with darkness, or Christ with Belial? Belial literally connotating the devil himself. How can we have this duality, this plurality, when we serve the true and the living God and we bow to no other? Oh, friend of mine, this call to come out is, 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 is defines the church when we do it. We are the ecclesia. That's what church means in the Greek word used in the New Testament to define it. Ecclesia is the word for church. And you know what ecclesia means? It doesn't mean a denomination. It doesn't mean a tabernacle, a building where Christians meet. Church, ecclesia, means called out ones. Called out ones. That is the prayer of Jesus Christ for his people. In John 17, he said, Father, I don't pray that you take them 
out of the world. (laughs) I pray that you keep them from the evil one. We're in the world, therefore, but we are called not to be of the world. That is the difference. You see, if you've got a boat, the boat is built to be in the water. And it is just fine. (laughs) The water may be a hundred feet deep, but it doesn't matter. The boat always sits on top of the water. It's designed to be in the water. But when water gets in the boat, you'd better start bailing it out. You'd better start doing something about plugging the leak. Because water is never supposed to be in the boat Because if water gets in the boat, it will not stay afloat. It's going to sink. It's okay for the boat to be in the water. It's never permissible for water to be in the boat. It's okay for the church to be in the world. Why? Because we're the light of the world. We are the witness to the world. (laughs) We are the salt of the world of the earth. We're supposed to be here as a preserving force. We're supposed to be here as God's luminaries, uh, the light of the world, a city set on a hill which cannot be hid. We're here uh, to represent another king and another kingdom. Hallelujah. And to not be afraid of being ostracized, not be afraid of being persecuted for our faith as we follow Jesus Christ today. We're upstream Christians in a downstream world, but that's okay. That's okay. It really marks us as the true followers of Jesus Christ today. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's why a pastor in Dallas could be removed from his pulpit one Sunday due to immorality and then start a new church the next Sunday with a huge crowd of people who glossed over uh, the moral sin. Uh, It's not that we can't repent or be restored, but we're treating sin as the world treats sin, as if it's no big deal. And if it's no big deal, then Jesus didn't have to go to the cross to shed his blood that sins might be forgiven. And we should not have a warning in Scripture that the soul that sins shall surely die. And we shouldn't model this compromised brand of Christianity to a world that is looking for truth and sincerity and authenticity today. Amen. No wonder the glory of man has replaced the glory of God in so many churches and so many Christian lives. Let's talk today as we close this broadcast about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. You see, the Bible said he made of himself no reputation, but took on himself the form of a servant, though he thought it not robbery to be called equal with God. And he humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant and was obedient even unto the death of the cross. Therefore, therefore, God hath highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name that is named of things in heaven and earth and beneath the earth, that at the sound of his name every knee should bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he comes back, there will be a name. The Bible said in Revelation, there will be a name written on his thigh as he rides the white horse of of a conquering king, king of kings and lord of lords. He is unquestionably lord. The question is, is he my lord? And is he your lord today? Will you say unto him, who wants to save your soul and paid the price to do it at the cross. Will you say, I don't want to serve you. I don't want you to have any kind of influence in my life. I would choose the evil one. I will choose the darkness over the light. I will go the way uh, of, of rebellion instead of the way of sweet surrender. Oh, friend, I pray today that you will choose the way of sweet surrender. That you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you will come to know Him as your Lord and your Savior today. And you will bow to Him and then you will join these upstream Christians in this downstream world as we follow Jesus while awaiting His soon appearing. And today, if you are a Christian and you feel yourself growing cold, as I said, I meet with pastors and a waitress came to our table and said, would you pray for me today? And we said, yes, we certainly will. What is your need? She said, pray that I will not veer from the path of following Jesus. Oh, friend, that is our prayer for you today. For surely he's coming very soon. Well, our time is gone. Would you come back next week and let's talk about Jesus? <laughs>